Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. We're starting a new series today called Learning to Lead. And that kind of goes along with with all of it. And I, I want to begin today by walking through my leadership journey. And I've I debated it uh, back and forth. And so I figured I'd try it out on the online group and see how it went. And it went okay. So I'm going to stick with it. I had a separate introduction I was going to do if it didn't go well. Uh, because I, I, I want the point to be made, which I'll make at the end of it. Um, but we're going to be studying the book of Nehemiah over the next several weeks and learning to, to lead. So I have, uh, and there's two large points at the end of my story that I want to share with, with you. Uh, I am a reluctant leader in that I've never really wanted to lead, but I've always been placed in leadership positions. And I'm okay with following. In fact, I would prefer to follow instead of having to lead. Uh, but the Lord, in his wisdom, uh, saw fit to put me in different leader, leadership positions. And so I want to talk to you about that again. Stay with me uh, until I get to the end of this segment so that we can learn the main point uh, together. I guess I began my leadership journey. I mean, I don't know how far back, but probably when I was 15 years old and was baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the power of God. That's really what transformed my life. Having grown up in church and knowing scripture and Sunday school and whatever we called children's church back in that day, although we might have even had to stay in the service, I don't, I don't remember uh, back, back then. But um, at 15 years old on a Friday night at a mission service, I was filled with the Holy Spirit and it changed the whole trajectory of, of my life. At 16 years old, I began uh, leading in youth ministry. And this happens sometimes, thankfully not too often here, is there's transitions in uh, 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 pastoral staff and in youth ministry and different things there. And so I was put in positions to lead the, the whole youth ministry at 16 years old and about the time that I was called uh, to full-time ministry. And so I was leading and teaching and, and even given opportunity to preach in, in the main church at 16 years old. Now, I've never afforded any other 16-year-old that opportunity, but I'm thankful for my pastor that gave me that opportunity at an early age so I could learn, uh, you know, learn to speak. I remember one of the first things that I did publicly uh, was we would have Sunday night services and offering, and we would just... Whoever was there would, would take the offering, and I would take the offering, and we come down. And the church was similar to this, a uh, little, little smaller than this, but the, the, the roof was at a peak like this. You've seen churches like that. All the churches built in a specific time period look basically the same. You can always tell, well, never mind, I won't say that, but you can, you can tell when the growth of the church happened by the architectural structure of the church in our circles. I can ride by a church now and know exactly the history of that church. And then you can judge its health based on how it looks on the outside. Uh, it's a very important principle because you can see that it was built architecturally in the 70s. That's when they had their most growth. 
and then gradually things declined and hadn't been kept up. And so windows aren't working or, or things like that. The grass isn't mowed, the shrubbery isn't taken care of, and you realize the church is in decline, and then you ride by a few years later and it's some other church. So you can kind of see when things happen based on the architectural structure. Even the large churches that were built in the 80s, maybe you've seen this, they were built with the stairways going up to the sides. So there's stairways, there's a large, there's a large floor, and then there's stairways on the side that can either have more chairs or it leads to a balcony area. That's very 80s, early 90s. So you can tell the process of the church. And then the large churches, um, the 2000s, 2000, well, maybe 2010s to now are dark. They, they like dark now. I, I personally don't, it's not a problem. It's not the gospel. It's style. I don't care either way. I just don't like the dark because at my age, I just can't see that well anymore. Okay, but dark, nothing wrong with dark. Love dark. Long as the gospel is being preached, I, I could honestly care less. But you can tell when things happen. Okay, I don't know why I said all that. I'm going to share some other insights about things. So I went to college at 17, went to Valley Forge Christian College, and uh, was involved in leadership there because no one else wanted to do it. Again, I've always felt myself a reluctant leader. I became a class president, which I held for three years because no one else wanted to do it. So it wasn't these great leadership abilities, it's just somebody needed to do it and I was just a willing soul, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how I ended up doing it, but, but enjoyed it, involved in, in student government. And I was always the student government guy that voted no because I felt what most of their other decisions were stupid. And uh, so I had this, this one student body president, and he's very, very sharp, very brilliant. He leads a, literally an international ministry now. And he would come up to me and he goes, you know, I really appreciate your honesty. And what that meant was, I'm not sure why you always vote no on everything, but I appreciate that you're a part of it. I just, see, I just saw things differently, just saw things differently. I was on student government, and then, uh, oh, I was the RA of my college floor, okay? Now, this, the reason I'm telling you some of this is because the Spuelers, do you know the Spuelers? Jeff Spuler, uh, Dom Albanese, do you know Dom, Dom, the Albanese family? They were on my floor, a bunch of Italians, they called themselves the Cousins, which, which was at Valley Forge Christian College, our, our local mafia. And I was their RA. And so they were so smart, that they would come to me and tell me what they were going to do. And I'm like, no, don't tell me. You know, it's something they shouldn't have been doing, if you, can, if you know those people. How many know them? Jeff Spuler, yeah, you know all them. So, you know, and they would come and they would tell me, hey, we're going to go. No, 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 don't tell me. But those were fun times. Uh, enjoyed that. And I became a youth, youth pastor. And at the church I was the youth pastor at, it had a school. And so I was a youth pastor, school teacher. I actually taught math at one stage, which is absurd. Uh, now I could never do it. I was close out of college. I did have some ability to do that. There was a girl in my math class, and I'm thinking seventh, eighth grade, something like that. Uh, she was brilliant. She's a PhD now. She's a scientist uh, that works in um, uh, research and development. When we got to square roots, do you know what I'm talking about? 
she would have to teach the class because I never did know how to do that. It's a true story, true story. Um, Nick, the, the funeral that you and I went to in Collingswood, do you remember that? That's that family. Uh, but anyway, yeah, seventh, eighth grade, she would teach that part of the math, the math section uh, in that. So I taught math. I was a teacher. I was a coach. I coached uh, basketball, soccer, taught gym class, all of these things I never really wanted to do. Uh, and then as a youth pastor, I became the, the sectional youth leader for our area of New Jersey. After that, I was a church planter. That's a weird thing. Um, I knew God had put that desire on my heart, but I'm not really a church planter in the sense that I'm not an evangelist necessarily. I'm, I'm good with established things and interacting with people on a personal level, but I'm not a, a you know, that, that type of thing. But, you know, God is good through it all, and we were there for six years. And then uh, I got a call from um, somebody named Nick Calvelli, and I was like, I mean, he seems like a nice guy. And then, uh, and then I talked to Stella on the phone, and then I became more interested after I talked to Stella. But Nick was the chairman, and it turns out that his brother-in-law was my grandfather's pastor, and his name was Guy Bon Giovanni, and he had been a family friend of our family since before I was born. He literally knew me before I was born. And uh, so we had those ties, and long story short, I came here at 32 years old to be the pastor of what was then Malaga Pentecostal Assembly. And it, for those of you that were here then, I had dark hair. Do you remember that? Does anybody remember that? Wait, let me start with, I had hair. I had hair, it was dark, and I still had, it was dark in my beard too. How many remember that? Remember that? And I shaved my beard the first time here for uh, missions. Remember that, Stel? Shaved it, and then I shaved my head for missions, and I've never gone back again. Uh, in that. So I came here at 32. I'd never led a church this size uh, like this. And now I'm in my 24th year here, which is hard to believe. I've lived here longer than anywhere I've ever lived in my whole life. And in some ways, it seems like I've been here forever. I mean that in a good way. And in some ways, it's like I'm just getting here. I'm just starting. I'm just as excited and enthusiastic as probably I've ever been. Maybe more so now than ever. This is not a resignation speech, by the way. This is more of a state of the union the type of a thing. Yeah, this is not a resignation. Some of you have been in church in a while. I was like, oh, no. Or, or you're like, oh, yeah, he's resigning. Yay. I have in my will, should something happen, um, certain people that are going to be on the pulpit committee. Uh, because I figure if I do pass before my time, it's their fault anyhow. And so I have some of them right in there. Uh, so if you know that you made it to my will, don't expect money, expect responsibility. Uh, so congratulations to that. Anyway, I'm in my 24th year. Uh, while being here, I've worked with multiple boards, all excellent. I've never had a problem with any of the boards that I've worked with. Um, and just because in light of my position, chairman of the board and technically president of uh, this nonprofit uh, corporation that we call Hope Assembly of God, I've been to hundreds of board meetings. I tried to figure out how many, but I broke into cold sweats, and so I stopped, but hundreds. In this time, we've gone through four uh, major building projects. Uh, we've uh, spent over a million dollars in renovations in those years. And it's still, it's all debt-free. 
Alongside of that, we've also given over a million dollars to missions. See how that works? You take care of God's things and God takes care of your, your things. That's just how it works. I don't know how more simply to put it. Uh, I've worked with contractors. Those of you that know me should laugh at that point because I have absolutely no mechanical skills whatsoever. Nothing. I can't build anything. I, I struggle with Ikea and any type of thing you have to put together. Joe and I were working on something when he was home over the holidays. He said, just, just hold this piece. That's all. Just hold this piece. And that, I said, I can do that. And I will also buy lunch. I am very gifted in buying uh, lunch. So uh, contractors, general contractors, electrical contractors, uh, architects, I mean, all of this stuff that I had never done, never even imagined to do. Uh, lawyers, I've worked with multiple lawyers through the years. Banks, uh, that's always fun. We've gone through three name changes and each one was uh, affecting the, uh, or, or I should say reflecting the transitions that were happening in the church. And so the last one is Hope Assembly, and we're not going to change that again, not, not while I'm still, still here, that I know of. Uh, I learned, you know, property management and main, having to maintain facilities and all that goes along with that. If you've never been to the whole part of this church, this church building is huge. You can't, it doesn't look like it till you walk around and see all that's there. The fire chief, who's a friend of mine, they would do training here because other than the schools, this is about the largest building in the township. And so they would go and work through the rooms and all of that, learn property management, real estate deals, more lawyers, more real estate agents, uh, having no idea. I don't own a house. I've never bought a house. And so I've never worked with a, a realtor or anything like that. Uh, uh, so we did that, you know, having in, in leadership, you know, oversight of the life of the church, the finances, oversight of the finances. I'm not a financial guy. My wife keeps all of our books and, you know, I just have two questions. Are the bill collectors going to call? And that's a no, at least at this stage of life. And am I going to jail? Those are my two questions. And so far, so good. But I've never, I have never ever balanced my checkbook. Because when I was single, this isn't a reflection on my wife, I'm just saying, but when I was single, college, first of all, wasn't what it costs now. So I didn't have any school loans and I didn't have any expenses other than just basic things. And I had plenty of money and always knew that there was money in the bank. So I never balanced my checkbook. And then I married a banker that had worked in banks and, and you know, and I had, I didn't throw the, statements away from the bank. I don't know exactly how it works, but I think you get a statement every month from the bank and you're supposed to go through and reconcile everything. I had over a year of bank statements before I met Dory that I had never opened, never ever opened. I just knew I had money. I just deposit whatever I made, take out a few dollars. I didn't spend a lot. I'm not a big, big spender and never reconciled it. So she spent days reconciling it. And so still to this day, 56 years old, I have never reconciled a checkbook. That's funny, isn't it? No? Is it pathetic? You can tell me if it's pathetic. I can take it. It's pathetic? 
Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, but you, you have an accounting background. Yeah. Thor's like, what will happen if something happens to me? I said, I'll have to hire somebody. I don't know. I'm not going to learn it. I don't know how to do this stuff. You know, so anyway, um, <laughs> I have a large point here. But in leadership, uh, I've, you know, been involved in training leaders. We helped plant another church, Pastor Jim's church. It's still doing very well. Pastor Jim and Donna are doing exceptionally well. For those of you that know them, uh, Amber now works for the church, and she's in college. Richie and I went to his graduation. Do you remember Richie? At Valley Forge, and we held Amber in our arms. She was like a week or two old. And now all of this, uh, we helped that. Uh, we've worked with merging of churches. I've worked on the sectional level with mentored staff and leaders, hiring and, 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 and uh, the other side of staff life. Uh, I've made some good hires and I've made some bad hires. And here's how you tell. The ones that are still here, those were good hires. And the ones that are gone, not so good necessarily. I've worked with the pastoral staff, office staff. We went from me and Stell working here when I first got here uh, to, you know, the staff and everything we have now. As a leader, you have to cast vision. Uh, what are we, where are we, and where are we going, and how are we going to get there? That's what vision entails. Um, uh, uh, presenting it to the church and trying to get, you know, the church on board. What this church has been amazing in that. I've never really had any issues there. Uh, some vision happens quickly, like let's paint the rooms downstairs. Others happen over decades. And that's where we're at now in, in life stage ministry, from the crib to the crypt. Right? We have ministries all through there. Well, it took 23 years to make that happen, or to get that to happen. But I always knew that's where we wanted to be. Um, uh, part of leadership is instituting changes, inspiring people, um, managing transitions. That's the hardest part of church leadership because the church is in constant change. If you're not growing at 10% every year, you're plateauing or declining. <laughs> And the reason for that is simple. People die, people leave, and people move to Florida. That's how it works. I have a whole other church down in Florida just waiting for me to get there. Okay? And uh, that, you know, so you're constantly in transition. People are switching from ministries, can't do it anymore, or, you know, just things happen. There's a constant transition that's taking place, and managing those transitions is really the key to the health of an organization. Uh, for this, this is some pastoral stuff you might not have thought about or known, but every seven years, when you've been in a church a long time, you pastor a different church. Every seven years, you have a handful of people that have been there all along, and everybody else is new. Every seven years. So I've pastored three churches since I've been here, and you think about it. Think of people who either died, left, or moved to Florida. Okay? I have a whole separate you know, different times in the stages and histories of church. You have to be prepared for that. Every 20 years in the life of a church, the church has to have uh, some semblance of an overhaul. Otherwise, you just begin its decline unto death. So we're in that second 20 years. When I came, there was a lot of changes that, that were made. 
uh, through the years. I don't even remember all of them. It just is what it is. And now we're in the, in the middle of that now, and that's part of the life stage. That's part of equipping the staff more than the church just being dependent on one person and interacting with one person all the time. That's part of that multiplication that we're, we're going through. But every 20 years, and you can watch it. Again, if you know anything about the history of any other churches, you can see there was a moment in time where they chose wrong and they started their decline. And there's a million reasons for it. Sometimes it's, you know, an unwillingness to change. It's a uh, not knowing what to do, it's pastoral transition, it's a poor pastor, it's uh, not financially, I mean not a good one. Uh, you know, all of these things, every 20 years it, it has to change, it has to look differently. Uh, you, you have to do that. Okay, so the, these are things, oh, here, here's another one and I'm almost done with this part of it. Um, I'll relate it like this. Where would we be as a church without technology? Where would we have been during COVID if we hadn't kept up? Now, I'm not talking kept up with international ministries, but for a church our size, we're actually ahead of the curve a lot on what we do with technology. Where would we be? The building was closed for four months. We didn't lose people. We gained people. Why? Because of the changes we made to technology. We hopped right on, and we continue to do it. We continue to just upgrade. You know, we have 30, 40, up to 50 people watch our online service. Imagine that. It's six people per pew. You know, we're actually ministering to more people now than ever. Don't look at on-site attendance because you don't see online attendance. You don't know the friends and family that are watching. You don't know the people in different states that watch and send their offering in. You don't know. Okay? And so that was part of changing. And you have to read the times. Okay, now those are all leadership things. I'm still getting to my larger point here, and I'm going to roll through this quicker. I told more stories than I had planned. That all of that leadership stuff doesn't involve pastoral ministry. Preaching, teaching, counseling, conflict resolution, communication, funerals, weddings, all of that. I've attended and been in charge of probably 2,000 services on, the, on the, small, the small side. You know, we used to have Sunday nights and we used to have all of these other things. 1,500 sermons about uh, with new, new material. Um, I mean, it's just been quite a ride. But here's the two things I want you to get from all of this. Tune back in again. Ready? If God can use me, he can use you. Please get that. Please don't get from all of this, oh, wow, what a good guy. I am an absolute disaster. You don't understand. You don't know the times of such paralyzing stress that I could barely function, of anxiety. Some of you know, you know, where I couldn't leave the house or I could only come to my office. I couldn't travel within a two-mile radius. The stomach issues, ulcers, gastritis, severe gastritis. They thought I was an alcoholic. They looked at my stomach through this thing. They came out and asked my wife, does he drink? I've never drunk uh, anything in my life. I've been through all of that. What I want you to see in all of this is that if God can use me, he can use you. And so... I never wanted to do all of this. I just wanted to serve the Lord. 
That's, that's all I ever wanted. Like when I interviewed for my credentials, where do you see yourself in the next five years? That's always the question. I had no idea. I don't know now where I want to be in the next five years. But I know that today I want to serve the Lord and tomorrow I, I want to serve the Lord and I, I want to fulfill what he's called me to do, preach and teach and lead and all of these other things. But I, I don't know. I just want to serve the Lord. If at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, you, you just have to say, Lord, I just want to serve you. And, and I, I can't do it on my own. I'm, I'm ill-equipped. My education didn't prepare me for leadership. It prepared me for biblical interpretation. That's what it prepared me for. It didn't prepare me for everything else that goes along with it. You learn as you go. And that's why we're entitling this series, Learning to Lead. And after 40 years of leadership in one capacity or, or another, I still have so many things to learn. Do you ever think, well, let me relate it to parenting. You have one kid and you think, okay, this is their personality. And you have a second one and they're completely different. And you think on the third one, they'll be like one of the other two. So you'll have experienced some of that. Not true. Completely different. Once you have the fourth one, you don't know what you're doing, where you're at, or what time it is. None of it makes sense. But you adapt and you adjust and you lead because that's what God has called you to do. I would think that, you know, 40 years into leadership, then I would have experienced most things and I will know what to do in every situation. It turns out I still don't know what to do because every situation is different. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever think, wow, I have some experience behind me now. I'll know what to do when this comes up and then something unexpectedly comes up and you still don't know what to do. I'm here to encourage you that if God can use that guy and work through that guy, he can use me. If God can give that guy what he needs, then he can give me what I need. I have no special gifting. I watch some of these guys. I don't compare myself with them anymore at a younger stage I did. Oh my gosh, what a gifted communicator. Oh Lord, if I could only communicate like that. Well, I can't. I tell dumb jokes. I tease people that are visiting. I say things I shouldn't. I don't say things I should. Don't compare yourself with other people. Just be and do what God has called you to do. And here's what I'll guarantee you. You'll look at life and say, wow, God did some awesome things in spite of me. That's what it's all about. So when I look at the life of Nehemiah, I say, wow, there's a guy. He was gifted. But he was working in a completely different realm. He worked for the government. And he had a very important job. Does anybody know what Nehemiah's job was in the government? What is it? Cupbearer. What does that mean, Pastor Rick? He had to taste the wine before the king. So if Nehemiah died, the king wouldn't. You understand? Which meant the king what? Trusted him with his life. That's how important Nehemiah was. And he was probably living well. I wouldn't think of him so much as a servant as I would as a significant part of the king's cabinet. Because if somebody attempted to kill the king, 
Nehemiah had to be there. So here he is living a pretty good life, answering only to the king whose word was instantaneous. And his brothers come to visit him. And he says, how are things going in Jerusalem? And I'll explain all this next week. Uh, how are things going in Jerusalem? And he says, not well. The walls haven't been rebuilt. Nehemiah goes, yeah, but they've been back in Jerusalem for 16 years. I know the temple's built, but why haven't the walls been rebuilt? And without the walls, Jerusalem and Israel was nothing because they were vulnerable. And it was very easy for other nations to come in and ravage them again. The walls in that way were so important. And here's what happens. Nehemiah, who had a good job, as long as nobody tried to kill the king, he had a good job, answered only to the king, position of power, authority, and wealth. And God spoke to his heart and said, you're the one that has to take care of these walls. And Nehemiah said, yes. And then starting next week, I'll tell you more about the story and how Nehemiah led, and we'll learn from him. But here's what I want to tell you as I close today. Whatever situation is, and I mean this as sincerely and as deeply as I can express it to you, whatever situation you're in, and let's imagine that walls are torn down and there's brokenness involved and things aren't the way you would want them to be. We all have those things. God has called you to be a leader in that situation. Wait, I can't do this. Perfect. That's the one God can use. The one that says, I got it all together. I know what to do. Nope. You know what happens? You're left to do it all on your own. And it ends up being a disaster. Does anybody know that? But when you say, I, I can't do this, but I do believe, God, you can, that's the beginning of rebuilding the walls in your life and in your situation. Let's say this. You're the only believer in your family. God wants to use you. Let's say that husband and wife aren't on the same spiritual page. And that's okay. If you're the believer then God has called you to lead like a believer. I don't mean take over. I mean lead, servant leader. If you're at work and the people you work with are a disaster and you don't know whether you can take it another day, God has called you there for a reason. And if he wants you to leave that job, he'll tell you and he'll make it plain to you. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm saying lead where you're at. You can lead from an executive position. You can lead from middle position. You can lead from the lowest position in the whole organization. Because it's not about position, it's about attitude. And the most important thing you have to lead, and I'll close with this, is your own life. Your own life. If you look at your life and you say, you know, there are some things I've got to work on, then you're the one God has called to be the leader of your life. I'm going to be careful how I phrase this. Because Jesus is the Savior, and I'm not talking about salvation. But sometimes we sit back and we wait for the hero to come and rescue us.
Now, Jesus has rescued us from sin. But I'm telling you, stop waiting for a human hero to come and rescue you and you be the leader of your life that God wants you to be. Stop rehearsing everything that's happened in the past. Stop worrying about what's going to happen in the future. And you stand up and say, God, I know you're calling me to be the leader of my life. I can't do it, but you can, and I want to serve you. And I'm telling you, God will work through you in ways that you never even imagined. And you'll look back on this series and this time in your life as a game changer. God, I'm willing. God, I'm willing. God, I'm willing. I'm willing to learn to lead for your glory and for the good of others. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Brother Nick, another song. Let's stand together. I'm going to keep sharing because the Lord's putting something on my heart here. Listen, still listen because church isn't over yet. Just the preaching part. Listen, God's not surprised by your circumstances. You might be because we had dreams and we had goals. And sometimes we get to be, you know, a certain age and we look back and say, you know, what happened? It's not what I thought. I'm not where I thought I would be at this time. And I'm telling you, I know what that involves. You know, sometimes it involves loss. I never thought that my loved one would be gone as I'm in this stage of life. I thought we'd enjoy this stage together. That's brutal. That's so very difficult and hard because it's not just grieving the loss, it's grieving the loss of your dreams. That's what's so hard. Things have happened, it's sickness is the same thing. You never thought maybe you'd deal with the sickness that you're, that you're dealing with. This wasn't part of your plan. But God knew that you would be where you're at right now and he's calling you to lead your life from where you are right now going forward and he's going to be with you and your dreams aren't over he's going to give you new ones now catch this but I thought okay it didn't work that way we live in a broken world I don't know why God will give you new dreams he'll give you new purpose new direction new ministry new people you can touch new people you can influence he wants you to lead and he'll be there with you. Grieve the loss of your dreams, but don't give up dreaming. Say it again, because some of you are getting it, some of you are not. Grieve the loss of your dreams, but don't stop dreaming, because God has more good things 
in store for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.